This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Happy Friday, what everyone. Everybody? What is going on? It is D3 post-election day. I'm counting up now oh my God. from election day. What happened to our count to Christmas? I don't uh, know how many times I got to tell you. I forget what it is. Well, I'm wow. Jewish, so give me a break here. Okay, yeah, I can't. Oh, right? Do you know the, how many days to Hanukkah? Uh, I'm not a good Jew. Give me a break. So, here. all right. <laughs> we do have a good Jew here, though. Uh, program director from KNX, Ken Charles, is here. Is he a good Jew? I just want a latka. <laughs> there you go. Ding, ding, ding. He uh, is a good uh, Jew. You know, there's a lot happening today, so we're excited to be able to have Ken Charles here, of course, who knows everything. And yes, we get yes. to dive in right now because there is so much going on. It's hard to keep up with it. By the way, just to tell you, coming up on the show, we have the white person whisperer, Dr. David Camp, joining us. And let me just give you some uh, clarification here. Um, our context, Shira took his class. She was one of the white people he whispered to. Well, what did he whisper? He basically taught her not to be a racist. Don't be a racist. <laughs> wow. Listen, how much? Wait, how much did he? Does he charge for that class? Because I could do that. Don't be a racist. <laughs> Except you're a white guy telling me that he's a black guy. But that's exactly what his class is about. Ta- exactly. White people talking to white people. So stick around for that. He's really actually interesting. I talk to white people all day long. We're not that interesting. <laughs> Trust me, I know. (laughs) All right. So speaking of white people talking, let's get into what's trending this hour because uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is coming out about the peaceful transition of power if President Trump loses his reelection. He's actually saying it could happen. Here he is talking to reporters in Kentucky. Senator, once the election is settled, do you believe there will be a peaceful transfer of power if Joe Biden wins the election? Of course. We've had a peaceful transfer of power going back to 1792 every four years. Uh, You've moved on to a new administration. 1792 was the second Washington administration. So do we really think that's actually going to happen? Because right now we haven't seen Republicans really say anything about the lies that he's kind of just blatantly said Trump in his press conferences. Do you think there's actually going to be this peaceful transfer of power? You know, if if, if some of the Republicans butch up and step up and like tell him he's got to do it, possibly. But here's the problem. Every day that goes by from the election is one day that Biden can't be working on his transition, Mm. can't be looking at what we need, can't be interfacing with the people who are in the White House who he needs to make that peaceful transition. So if this is 
a, 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 a sprint after December 14th when the Electoral College meets. Now you're talking about literally four and a half weeks to try to put together a government that has been dismantled, that has not been fully um, staffed at, at, at basic, basic level. Yeah. So every day that goes by, will it be peaceful? Sure. Will it be chaos, though, and chaos where it doesn't need to be? That's actually more scary for me. It feels like yeah. it will be. It feels like it, Because yeah. look, on January 20th, at 12 o'clock in one second, Trump's oath of office, if he loses, expires. Mm. So they can have the White House, you know, police throw his ass out of the White House. That one's not that hard. Will yeah. he show? But, you know, here's some things. Will he meet with Biden now? Will he meet with him in December? Like Obama did with Trump and every president has done with the incoming president. Yeah. Will he have... Members of his staff meet with Obama's or Trump's or Biden's members of his staff. I mean, all of the things that go on in a transition, besides being peaceful, are now being postponed while we battle this out, while we count, while he goes to court and does all the other things. And as we've seen from Trump, mm-hmm. he's not a great loser. Uh, yeah, and he's even said that. He actually he said, said that it. I'm not a good loser. He like, said how much losing more information is not easy for yeah, me. Can you That's get? exactly what he said. Uh, but these lawsuits, they're raising so much money. And speaking of which, Senator Lindsey Graham announced he was donating $500,000 to legal efforts made by the Trump campaign to challenge these election procedures in the remaining swing states. And he's been one of a few of the Republicans speaking out about how he is going to support Trump and these baseless claims that the election has been rigged. Here he is on Hannity. I'm going to donate $500,000 tonight uh, to President Trump's defense legal fund. I've been on your show. You've raised a ton of money for me. Your audience was incredibly helpful to lindsaygram.com. Give to donaldjtrump.com so we'll have the resources to fight. The allegations of wrongdoing are are earth-shattering. It makes the Carter Warrant page application, Carter Warrant, uh, Carter Page Warrant application look on the up and up. What what does he mean by that? Here's what he means. He means donate to a website because Lindsey Graham's not writing a check for $500,000. Oh, of course not. I, I, does he have it? Listen, After it, trying to, I mean, he did end up he winning his reelection, yeah. but he was trying very hard because Jamie Harrison was making presidential mm. numbers in his campaign. But I'm not sure if it's legal for um, Lindsey Graham to use his campaign funds oh. to give to President Trump to use for his legal funds. But do they care about what's legal at this point? Like, I, Well, Lindsey gonna... Graham ought to because he's a sitting senator. By yeah. the way, you know, there, there's one more thing. So uh, when you talked about the transition, there is the traditional letter that the outgoing president mm. leaves the incoming president. Last night, when, when I was asked by my wife, I said, he's not going to leave a letter. He's just going to pee in the drawer. But I've rethought that. Okay. I think what Donald Trump is going to leave in the drawer for... A President Biden, if he loses, is his signed pardon. And it's signed pardon of himself and his children and possibly <gasps> even his son-in-law. Oh, I just got chills. Okay, let's God. continue talking about this. <laughs> and uh, and also, we want to talk about the Senate race. There's a lot going on yeah, in real time. So Ken Charles from Canada is with us. I just wanted to drop us. that on you guys. Thank yeah. you. More on that after this. Let's go there with, with Shira and Ryan. The new Channel Q. We are back with KNX, our sister station, KNX News. The program director, Ken Charles, hanging out with us on this Friday. We love having him on. There was so much to talk about. We've been talking about the presidential race, obviously, but also on everyone's minds is the Senate. It's pretty close right now. Democrats at 46, Republicans at 48. 
what could happen right now? Because there's a recount happening as well in Georgia around the Senate. So there's two Senate seats up. Yeah. There's Purdue against Ossoff, and then there's the, what, Johnny Isaacson seat or whatever, because he decided to retire. And there's like 800 people running for that. That's an automatic runoff because nobody got over 50%. It doesn't look like Purdue or Ossoff are going to go over 50%. Those two seats are in a runoff. Those two seats are really, really crucial. I never thought I'd live in a world where Georgia was this important. But, (laughs) you know, not only could it change the balance to 51-49, but even if it changes the balance and splits to 50-50, remember, with a Biden presidency and a 50-50 Senate, every tie gets broken by Kamala Harris. Who knows? She'll make the right decision. She'll certainly make the decision that makes the Democrats happy in most Mm -hmm. of the time. So then, you know what? Here's the first thing. Mitch McConnell won't be the head of the Senate anymore. It could be Chuck Schumer because that vote will get broken by Kamala Harris as vice president. So when you start looking at all of the things... 51-49, there's no difference between 51-49 and 50-50 if there's a Democrat in the White House. If it's 159 the other way, mm. then it's different. So, I guess, when you're talking about the importance of states, and we saw flip states, right? We saw flip states happen. Should we be even considering them, like, Florida? Is Florida any longer a swing state? Is Arizona now a blue state? How do we need to start kind of looking at this moving forward? I mean, look, when I moved to Florida in 1975, shut up, both of you. (laughs) I'm wanna, telling you, you look 26, Ken. I, yeah, I, 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 yeah the, but in dog you look years. better than me. In dog years. <laughs> Cute. <laughs> yeah, but, old but, dogs are the best dogs. But look, when I moved, thank you. So you called me old. I've yes. been called now, old. Yeah, you know, see. I'm just talking to you. Yeah. No, don't breathe towards me. <laughs> I'm just talking to Siri. <laughs> All right, continue. All right, but so... Look at Florida. Florida, when I moved there in 1975, you had Bob Graham, Democrat. You had Lawton Childs, Democrat. You had Democrats the entire time. Look at Texas before George W. Bush. Ann Richards was the governor there. Again, it wasn't so hard red. Now it's changed in Florida. It started to change in the 80s with Reagan. But, you know, Florida's a crazy state. Florida's the state that voted in um, uh, 2008 for Obama, but against legalization of marijuana. And also, I was going to say, just Google Florida, man. Yeah, well, Florida's, but also, is it because <laughs> but, a lot of the of Hispanic is, vote also in Cubans Well, but, in but remember, the Hispanic vote in Florida is different than Hispanic vote in Texas or Arizona right. or California, because it's not just Cuban, it's Dominican, it's Venezuelan, it's Costa it's Rican. It's kind of the surrounding... And, like islands. And, Correct. Yeah. And when you look at especially Cubans who have been here a long time, the older Cubans who vote, they're very much against the path to citizenship that Biden and a number of the Democrats want because they're like, hey, wait a minute. We worked for years to get our citizenship. We worked for years to build our businesses. And the, these people are coming over illegally yeah. and they're getting a free ride. Yeah. And so. So what does that mean, though? Is Arizona now a blue state? Because, I mean, they just elected Mark Kelly. I mean, but remember, like, Arizona is the-, the state of John McCain. Right. Again, I don't. Now we know Cindy McCain is basically a Democrat, right? But you can't can't look at this election and make that prediction because how much of this is Mm anti-Trump and voting against Trump versus changes in the demographics and psychographics of Florida or any of those states? So I guess when will we figure this out? Because Vox, I think, has said already projected that Biden is the winner, but a lot of people are going to wait this out. What's going to happen with Pennsylvania right now? 
So look, the the credible news organizations, and while Vox is sort of, it's not AP, it's not you know KNX News, CNN, it's not us. There's a process to go through, and especially while they're counting votes, and we're talking about only twenty thousand votes separating the two in a state of over you know seven million votes, give or take. No one's going to call this until every vote is counted. They're going to be really conservative because they want to get it right. It's too important. And a recount happens when it's under one percent. So if right? it's under point five. Five of one percent. Okay. There's a mandatory recount between that and one percent. It's up to the legislator of that state. They could order a recount. Then there are judges that can get involved in this. What's happening in Nevada right now? I can't. Is, have they figured Nevada it out? was. What did I see? The last time it was under forty thousand. I'm surprised that hasn't been called, and especially Nevada because as Clark County goes, which is Las Vegas, yeah. and Reno, which went for Hillary also have gone for um, Biden, it's a surprise to me that there's enough ballots to change this. It, to me, looks like a really easy call for yeah. Joe Biden. Biden but again, they're Bi- going to be careful. And Biden is speaking in the next hour, and we'll probably have, be able to have you back before you leave the studio soon. So well, I'm walking out the door. I'm going home. Oh, it's so rude. How dare you? I'm, How rude. I'm tired. Putting it's it in okay. our face. You weren't tired. Long week. Ken Charles. You're starting to look like Steve Kornacki. That's mean. <laughs> uh, Steve Kornacki, is, he is my nerdy boyfriend. I'm just putting that out there. I love him. A lot of new nerdy boyfriends coming out of this election. So, uh, Ken Charles again. I'll be everybody's nerdy boyfriend. I'm good. program director. We love having you on. Thanks again. Have a great weekend. Get some rest. Coming up, we're debunking some of those conspiracy theories you've been seeing around the election with oh, Skeptoid host uh, Brian Dunning. Hang out with us. Well, sure. I didn't want to go now. Now I want to stay. I want to I bunk some of these. Turn off his mic, please. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. False claims that Democrats are stealing the election and fraudulent votes made by President Trump is causing a flurry of misinformation on social media. And let me tell you, I experienced this firsthand today because... There's a lot of things being shared over there from the fact that, you know, they're uh, putting boxes or covering the windows. They're not letting election observers observe the uh, ballot counting locations. There's a video that Ted Cruz shared of a Democrat saying that Philadelphia was a sham. I mean, it got pretty violent as well. Well, almost violent because two armed men have been charged after being found near the Philadelphia Convention Center where an ongoing vote count could decide the presidential election. And they also had a sticker with a, it's a window sticker and a hat with the logo for the internet group QAnon, oh. which is a part of spreading these conspiracy theories. So obviously all of this stuff is having a major impact yeah. on what we're seeing. Definitely. And here to debunk some of these claims and conspiracy theories, back with us is Skeptoid podcast host Brian Dunning. Thanks, Brian, for jumping in on this. I'm going to try. You know, this stuff piles up faster than you can keep on top of it, though. I, for real. <laughs> I mean, today it was a lot. So let's first start with Wisconsin. There Are um, are there more votes than registered voters? Because this is something yeah. that's being shared right now. Yeah, so this, this was funny. It, 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 the weird thing about this is it's so easy to double check, but nobody does. <laughs> so someone this started with a, a tweet. Somebody tweeted, hey, there's been 3.2 million votes cast in Wisconsin but there's only 3.1 million registered voters. Well, therefore fraud, right? Now, if you do a Google search for how many registered voters there are in, in, in Wisconsin, which is probably what this person did, most likely you're going to get the number from 2016, mm. which was 3.1 million. But for 2020, it's 3.7 million. So no, it's absolutely not true that there are more votes than voters. 
just someone lazy googling was the was the cause of that. You know, I feel like this may be a dumb question, but why do you think, especially more than ever, and and obviously because of our president, but besides that, why do you feel like Trump supporters are so intensely looking for conspiracy theory to believe in? You know, I I, I think that's I think that's just human nature, and and I and I think that if the, if the tables were turned, it would be the other way around, and I think you'd see Biden voters finding some way. Oh well, what did the Russians do this time? You know, there's always whoever is on the whoever is on the losing side is going to be like trying to find some justification. Facts. The Russia, like the Russia impact in 2016, was like actually a factual thing, right? It wasn't kind of based on, you know. So I think that's the difference between like mm-hmm. if a Biden voter, you know, thought about a conspiracy theories. There seems like there's facts behind these things. Where versus Trump's supporters, they're just going off yeah. of baseless like nothing. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, you, you're opening up a whole conversation we could have now. That, that yeah. you know, you've got Democrat voters, you've got Republican voters. And then you've got this group of Trump populists, you know, this sort of mm-hmm. cult of Trump that's where all the crazy stuff is happening. And when you stack that on top of the Republican voters, you know, all of a sudden you've got a majority now. Okay. And so it's not really fair to compare what the populist group is going to be doing compared to what either of the conventional Democrat or Republican well, voters. But this is a lot being shared about, all right, I'm going to do two of them really quickly, so I hope you have an answer. They're not letting Republicans yeah. or election observers observe poll counting and that they're boarding up the win- the window so protesters can't see what's happening, and that means that it's all a fraud. Right. So, okay, so these are these are two different things happening in two different states. And in Philadelphia, you know, the, the, the Trump campaign has been filing lawsuits basically in, in every state that they've been losing. Uh, just coming up with anything they can, just a shotgun approach. And they were claiming that no observers were being allowed uh, in this one location in, in Philadelphia. And, I mean, that was funny. If you if you watch what happened in the courtroom, uh, or at least read about it, uh, the judge was asking him, okay, you're claiming that no observers are being allowed. How many Republican observers do you have in there right now? And they hemmed and hawed, and finally the guy admitted, we have a non-zero number of observers in there right now. <laughs> so the judges say, so we, which one were you telling the truth in your document that you filed or what you just told me right now? Which one was true and which one was a lie? And so the judge just threw that out of court because, of course, it's not true. Every okay. single state has its own state election laws, and almost all of them it requires a minimum number of observers from every party that's being represented in the election. Yeah. And that was the case in Pennsylvania. And I guess boarding up the windows, not like they're trying to hide anything. It's more that they, d- they don't want the disruption from all these people outside that are trying to yeah, this, shoot things. This and- is in Michigan. You had all these all these uh, people were, were banging on the windows and chanting, stop the count, stop the count. And so the people inside just said, we can't work with this. And they just yeah. started taping paper up over the windows. Okay, well, Brian How Dunning, that? we do need a wrap. But you did answer okay. some things. So we appreciate you for joining <laughs> us. Again, check out Brian on the Skeptoid podcast. It's really awesome. Coming up, Gap tried to bring people together this week. Why it didn't work at all. The faux pas coming up next in two minutes. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. The new Channel Q. Gap found themselves in some hot water this week. You know, the company Gap. On Wednesday morning, right after election date, the company tweeted a video of a blue and red hooded sweatshirt being zipped up in the middle with the caption, the one thing we know is that together we can move forward. Yeah, wow, what a mistake on their end. Yes, they were met with a lot of uh, critique from social media. Pretty much everyone in social media dragged them. 
we were not in a place to deal with this, okay? They called out the brand for appearing to gloss over very polarizing political divides. It was pretty clear that we were not all together as it related to the 2020 election, right? Well, I don't even know if it was really pertaining to just the election. I think Mm -hmm. if you think about it, social media stuff, you kind of plan ahead. It might have already been on the content calendar. It probably already got approved. There's so many different levels of like things, especially for big companies like that. You have to kind of get certain things approved. Like there's a number of people who are looking over things, right? And so it passed all the approval of those people who looked over it. And then you think about one, read the room. Do you really think this is the time to one, yeah, be saying, well, maybe we can all just come together. It just, people don't feel that way and everything is high stress, high anxiety. And I think it it, it really has, We and we've had the conversation about toxic positivity. That's something mm-hmm. that was a prime example of, of that moment, right? Trying to not understand the nuances of people's fears and anxieties and being upset like allow people to feel their feelings like let's normalize that instead of trying to shut that down and try to push a positive message well that's definitely something a gap sweatshirt won't solve that it wasn't even on sale that that sweatshirt was not (laughs) even on on sale so i don't even know who made that Well, uh, I love this. There are a lot of tweets around this. This guy, uh, John Steven Stansel said, I like to buy everyone on the Gap's marketing team a Pepsi right now. Of course, this reminds a lot of people of that Pepsi, Pepsi commercial where Kendall Jenner was handing police a Pepsi to try to calm down the protests. And that was completely tone deaf. Um, as we all know, they got dragged for that. Well, I think it's um, funny, uh, before yeah. you go move on to the next tweet, didn't you not just get into it with somebody over Twitter because you were like preaching about like compassion and all that stuff and people were like... Oh, no, this guy who we've had on the show, he's a conservative. He, he was talking about, we were talking about Republicans versus Democrats and, and about it's about the collective. And he goes, the collective doesn't exist. And I was like... Um, that does not make sense even like to, to to not understand how we all function as a collective and one person's actions impacts the others is like literally you're living on another planet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. But that said, we won't go down that rabbit hole. Uh, they did say a statement to time. Gap did. They said from the start, we have been a brand that bridges the gap between individuals, cultures, generations. The intention of our social media posts that featured a red and blue hoodie was to show the power of unity. It was just too soon for this message. We remain optimistic that our country will come together to drive positive change for all. Let Joe Biden be the person to do that, not a clothing company. No one cares about the Gap. And didn't the Gap try to, they had just had something signed up, uh, like a collaboration with Kanye West not too long ago. Like, are they really the people that we want to kind of have, like, have them preach that message? Not really. Right? I mean, yes, they announced the Yeezy Gap line, and they were called out for announcing the project while canceling a former collaboration with a black designer. Telfar Clemens. And so, yeah, they've been having a few mistips lately, so they might want to rethink a few things uh, coming into 2021. Uh, but coming up on the show, the percentage of the LGBTQ plus community who voted for Trump. We've got that number next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Welcome back to the show and happy Friday. Thanks for hanging out with us. Coming up on the show, we have got Dr. David Kant 
our uh, white person whisperer joining us. I always feel weird when I say that, but it's true. That's what he does. I mean, I, I, he was called that on the the Daily Show by tr- like whoever he interviewed, right? Yep. And so I don't know if that's necessarily his thing, but I think it was a joke that he, he called it, him though. that. But yeah, he's apparently really good at speaking the white people language. Uh, yeah, to make them or make <laughs> us learn about. Racism and anti-racism. And I was, to be honest, when you suggested him to come on after you've taken his course, I was not a fan of it. I, I was know. like, um, this seems a little interesting. It's a little um weird, but why not? Let's bring the guy on, see what he's about. And I like him. Yeah, well, that's coming up right after this. Let's get into some what's trending this hour, though. Republican National Committee Chair Ronna McDaniel did not present concrete examples of alleged voter fraud in her home state of Michigan and elsewhere when pressed by Fox News anchors on Friday, instead urging Americans to give us time to produce evidence of irregularities. Why give evidence? A lot of irregularities, Brett. I've been in Michigan. We've been pursuing... uh, reports coming in on our hotline, people who were disenfranchised from observing the vote count, and and some more serious allegations that we're seeing. So be patient and allow that to play out. There's a canvas for a reason. There's a certification for a reason. And if there were these irregularities, we need to pursue that. And we are seeing that across the country. And it's important for our voters that they see us uh, track these down. And I will say some of the ones that are coming from Michigan are very, very serious. Can you give us an indication of, of what you're alluding to? I'll be having a press conference today, uh, but yes, it's serious. And I, I want to let this play out and allow the lawyers to look at this, but it, it's not uh, something that's little. So be patient. You know, it's serious, just, but I can't really point to anything specific but it's serious you know rick uh what's his name rick sant centorum or mm-hmm. whatever it rick is centorum. yeah centorum he was on cnn and he was also kind of um talking about this idea of like how democrats need to give uh republicans a chance to one realize that they've lost oh and i, I I just one everyone on the panel on CNN just grilled him, um, but two uh, also why why they didn't do that with like Hillary Clinton? Yeah, why do they deserve that grieving time? Yeah, it just feels weird. It feels very weird, and I just feel like Republicans will say anything at that point, which is why I said that because it just reminds me of just pulling things out of your butt. I would say instead, like, why don't we just give America therapy or? But, of course, not a lot of people have it because a lot of people don't have health care because they're Republicans. Sure, you offered uh, that uh-huh. our, our economic system go based off of happiness earlier in the studio. You know, Bhutan <laughs> has figured it out. I don't care how small that place is. Now, speaking of this hotline, you know, Eric Trump tweeted out a phone number that was supposedly a place to report voting irregularities. But all callers got was just some of the president's old campaign speeches about Hillary Clinton's email scandal. So he said, help stop voter suppression, irregularities and fraud. And he tweeted that just this morning. And he goes, tell us what you are are seeing, right? But when the number is dialed, and this is according to New York Post, who, by the way, endorsed Trump, they said no one answers. Instead, a loop of Trump's campaign speeches is played over and over again. And many of them appear to be from 2016. So uh, they're really tracking that uh, fraud right there. Now, exit- Hard at work. Yes. Harriet the Spy. Exit- Do you remember that what? movie? That's a good book if you haven't seen no. it. So I grew up on it. So I didn't. Yeah. Thank you for always teaching me about the youngest. You're welcome. Now let's move on to exit polling of roughly 16,000 people who voted. 
and it found that 7% of them identified as LGBTQ, which is a record turnout. The exit surveys were conducted by Edison Research for the national election pool and interviewed voters outside of polling places or early voting sites as well as by phone. But because while more openly LGBTQ people than ever turned out to vote in this year's election, an alarming number of them cast their ballots, though, for Trump. 28% of LGBTQ voters said they voted for Trump. That's nearly double the number that voted for him in 2016. Why? Are you wondering? Oh, are you asking? Are you about to tell us why? I will. Tell us why. Tell us why. I don't personally know why. I mean, I can make assumptions, of course. A recent study out of the (laughs) Williams... Wait, a recent study out of the Williams Institute could explain it. It found that 41% of the LGBTQ... They didn't put, oh, that was interesting in this article. They just put LGB Republicans <laughs> say they wish they were straight. And 30% of them believe their sexuality is a character flaw. OMG. This is real, by the way. They're talking about white gays. <laughs> oh, that's why. <laughs> Well, anyway, some very well, interesting are. statistics. I mean, they are. You have to talk about it because black and brown people that are like um, black and brown voters, especially youth of color, they came out in great amount of numbers. Uh, even the, when it came to this uh, uptick of black male voters or black voters that they're saying that Trump received, black men from 30 to 49 were the ones that were really blo- like, you know, actually voting for Trump. It was the young black men actually who were not voting for Trump. So this idea, even when you're talking about LGBTQ voters and even if you want to break that down, it's mostly white gays or gays who have kind of a passing privilege of being surrounded by whiteness where they don't have to deal with the the things that this administration is attacking when it comes to this community, right? And so that's what a lot of people are talking about. I mean, Sarah um, from the President of GLAD, she spoke to us about, you know, a lot of group of people only thought when like marriage was legalized that it was okay. Like we're all good, but guess what? It's not. And to be quite honest, you could have said white gays because that's literally what it is. And that's why uh, queer people of color will always side eye other people in this community because it shows in percentages and it shows in numbers that they don't show up. For yeah. Them. So here's the thing. I'm kind of sick of these surveys because it's true. If you're going to ask these questions, break it down by also race because well, that do. makes a huge difference. I don't see it. Well, I just almost hit the microphone here. I got really passionate. I don't see it. In, <laughs> sorry. In any of these, though, when they well, the talk about Times, it. The New York Times, they they were they broke it down by race and things like that. But exit polls and polling in general are faulty. I don't like them. They're not true. They're not real because they're based off of what a small amount of people that they were able to call or be at the actual polling center with. That doesn't millions of people mail, mailed in their vote this year. So where are those votes? Where is that um, statistics when it comes to anyone a part of any community? You know, I see an opening for a new industry. Just saying. Of See, what? That's where innovation happens. When something's not working, a new t- polling system. All right, all right, maybe. Maybe you and I should start the company. No, stop trying to work with me. <laughs> My goodness. Oh, the running joke. <laughs> all right, that was What's Trending This Hour. Coming up after this, why are there rises in COVID-19 cases? Is it because of the election? Is it because of in-person voting? Our infectious diseases expert, Dr. Michael Sag, joins us for that next. And Joe Biden is planning on speaking soon, but we're not sure when. Yeah, he was supposed we'll be to be at five. into that when it happens. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Just wanted to put that out there. Okay, bye. Last week, President Trump claimed that, quote, on November 4th, you won't hear anything about COVID because we're rounding that turn. Yeah. (laughs) But now uh, some of the battleground states are already seeing a rise of cases. Just yesterday, November 5th, there were 120,000 new coronavirus cases. 
So what now back with us is infectious diseases expert, Dr. Michael Sag. Thanks for being here. Good to be back. I mean, so you're on the ground in Alabama. You are working, you're at the hospitals. What are you seeing right now? We're seeing like everywhere, an increase in caseload. Our our cases in the hospital had dropped about 50 ever daily census. And now we're in the high 80s uh, to 90. Uh, cases. So uh, we're getting hit, not maybe as hard as some other states in, uh, in the country, but we're feeling it as well. Well, it's so interesting because it sucks that there's there's an uptick, but the CDC literally gave permission to those who are positive with coronavirus that they could actually go vote in person. Was that a smart decision, do you think? And is it going to have an effect on a ton of people if they were, they exposed a lot of folks? Well, a couple of points here. One, the details matter. So in the polling place that I went to on election day, everyone kept distance. Everyone was wearing a mask. Every single person. I was amazed. There's a lot of respect. It was very almost uh, reverence going on for each other. It was very heartening to see. Now, I'm not sure that happened everywhere, but if that was the case, you know, going into a polling place, uh, keeping distance, wearing a mask shouldn't be as risky as opening up indoor restaurants, opening up bars, which we're seeing happen more and more despite the number of cases. Uh, so we're in the middle of a, of a really huge amount of community spread right now. Uh, it's really not safe in a lot of places, especially to be indoors with a lot of people who aren't wearing masks, that's for sure. So when we blame the election or when people do for the spike, it's not necessarily because of the in-person voting. It's because of maybe just a distraction from the election or from the election narrative uh, that Trump shared in his fight to get reelected. Yeah, it's a good point. I, I don't know what the real cause is, but I can tell you the 100,000 plus number of cases we've seen in the last two days are people who likely were infected seven to 10 days before. So we are seeing a lot of disregard for the messaging that we all know. And I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to repeat it because everybody knows the mantra about the masks and all that. But, but what I'm hearing are people are tired of it. They don't want to, they, they're tired of their life being interrupted. And there is a component of tribalism about mask wearing and other things that just blows my mind. We're talking about a global pandemic that's blowing up the country in terms of new cases. And yet people say, well, it's no worse than the flu. Let me tell you, it's a hell of a lot worse than the flu because the flu only lasts for a few months. In our hospital, at any moment in time, we might have four or five cases of the flu. Now we have 90 cases and our ICUs are filled. There's certain ones at 36 beds, including patients with uh, all with COVID. We never see that in the flu. And this thing's not ending. And oh, by the way, there are 230,000 U.S. citizens who have died in eight months, and we never see that in the flu. Yeah, and, and we also don't really mention it, it seems. It's kind of like that thing that, that's not said, even though it's known, which allows people to put it under the rug. Or what, what's the <laughs> saying? I'm like losing it right now. Sweep it under the rug. Sweep Man, it under the rug, yep. Well, that's right. And I, I don't know how we sweep that many deaths under the rug. I mean, I, I grew up in the era of the Vietnam War. There were 58,000-plus deaths in the entire experience uh, over almost 20 years. And we've seen now fourfold that from COVID. And yet people are trying, as you said, to sweep it under the rug or ignore it. How do you ignore that? 
That is death. That is, okay, so there, a lot of them are older people, but they're people. And they wouldn't be dead but for COVID. Uh, yep, and definitely. That's, that's, that's a terrible thing. Again, we're talking to infectious diseases expert Dr. Michael Sag right now about the uh, spike in COVID-19 cases. And I know you hate talking politics. You are not someone who puts, you know, you don't like it. But I do think there's something to be said about how we've handled this pandemic and the close being, the, the race being so close. Right. Was that shocking to you um, that the race was that close a little bit? I, I was looking at the polls like everybody and I thought that the difference in some of the states were going to be much wider. But it is what it is, as they say. Uh, but I think in terms of what we can really say as a consequence is this tribalism that that is born out of politics has spilled over into public health. And the worst part of it is the assassination of the trusted voice people who we should be listening to or normally listening to during a pandemic, Tony Fauci, the CDC, many others are being assassinated on social media. And I I heard a horrible thing from Steve Bannon's uh, Twitter site where he said that he should be beheaded. I mean, what kind of craziness is this? What country are we living in? This is nuts. Uh, I think that's on a lot of people's minds right now. Well, Dr. Michael Zag, thanks again for being here. Thanks for having me back. Now, coming up, he's been called the white person whisperer. Dr. David Camp joins us to offer tools to teach all of us how to actually be anti-racist. And all of us, I meant, you know, the white folks out there. That's coming up in two minutes. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. As a result coming from the election, it's clear our country is more divided than ever before. And one person has built his career around guiding people through uncomfortable conversations, specifically around anti-racism tools for white people. Uh, And joining us right now, I really love this guy, Dr. David Camp, founder of The Dialogue Company. Thanks for being here today. It's great to be here. So you've been known for your anti-racism work. Why is it more valuable now more than ever before. Well, we just saw a situation where 26 million people participated in race-based protests. We have a whole campaign that just hit with where one of the sides got into it because of racial issues. We need to be talking about these issues. That's clearly the case. Not that we haven't needed to for 400 years, but we certainly need to now, given what just happened. Yeah, and why do you think this race was so close? I think that one of the things that disappoints me as a black person is to see that there was not a whole scale repudiation of, of one side of the of the candidates, uh, a side that I think has demonstrated a fair amount of animosity, or at least uh, a very different view of what racism is than I have. And a lot of people expected that kind of repudiation. I think that part of what's going on is that Mr. Trump represents a kind of um, a dedication to a previous system of a certain level of um, a certain structure of society where men are on top white people are on top, et cetera. He represents a kind of a concern, that, that traditional view. And you have an insurg- a, a population that's saying, no, we need a new view. And those, and b- because of both generational and demographic differences, those sides are at odds. And so what happened is, is that the question got called and more people came out on both sides, but it's still a very divided country. So part of our work going forward is how do we heal that division and move forward and construct a kind of a collective narrative about both who we have been, who we are, who we're going to be, that we can work together on. 
Follow-up question. So Black authors were on the New York Times bestseller list during this country's awakening about racism. Um, with the, the results, obviously, we're seeing that Joe Biden has a possibility of winning, but the, the race was still so close. Does this kind of prove that this country hasn't learned anything, especially when it comes to caring about other folks who are not white? Oh, uh, I think it's learned a lot, and it hasn't learned enough. Imagine what the bestseller list would have been 40 years ago, what it was in 1968-69. It wasn't filled with Black authors, or I would also remind people that there's white authors writing about racial issues, right? That's so right. it wasn't filled with that. So right now, white folks are super divided. Like 40, 45% of white people think racism is a big problem. 55% of white people don't. That's not as good as it should be and way better than it was. So I'm just, so I think it is an, it's important for us to not overdo the things haven't changed thing. Things have changed a lot, and they haven't changed enough. And I think that if we're going to be effective in persuasion and much less just comfortable psychologically, we need to acknowledge both sides of that. Yeah, definitely. And that's why I do love your perspective on these things, obviously. And again, we're talking to Dr. David Camp, founder of The Dialogue Company. Uh, and you've over these years created these tools specifically focused on you know, white people, you are considered according, I, I think I heard this on the daily show because you were on the daily show, like the white people whisper or something white like people that. Whisper, yes. <laughs> Is that not <laughs> exhausting? Is that not exhausting well, I, I, have to well, deal well, with like white guilt all the time? Well, brother, here's, here's how I put it. That's what I tell, <laughs> this is what I tell brothers and sisters. I do the work with the white people so you don't have to. I do. I constantly I work with a ton of white people. I'm oh, the only I, white I, voice I, on the station. <laughs> my point is, is that there's a fair amount of us who have fatigue about talking about racial issues yeah. to people who don't believe they're true. Now, that's understandable, but we do need a, we need some number of people to, yeah. to, to say, okay, I'm going to do the educating with them, even though, so the, so the people of color don't have to do that. And I'm saying, maybe you do that. That's what, that's what the White Ally Toolkit Project is about. Somebody's got to coach the, the, the white people who kind of get things to be better coaches to white people who don't get things. Like part of what happens is that the white people... Um, who, who get it are kind of really bad coaches. <laughs> and so, and they ultimately generate more resistance and feedback. So, you know, we, we got to love on the, the white people who get it so they can love on their cousins, their brothers and sisters, so that those brothers and sisters can be more loving, period. We got to pass that on, but a lot of we don't do that. Yeah, I think it's super important to be able to have conversations with everyone. I'm from the deep South. So like for me, that having conversations were, is kind of a part of my DNA, right? Mm -hmm. um, having the experiences I, that I've had in the South as a part of my DNA. So I, I love this idea of being able to kind of be that that bridge, right? Um, I think that's super important. But yeah, I just, I, I always wonder, like, is that kind of something where are we at a point where a lot of, I feel like younger black and brown folks are feeling like Google is a real thing. You know, if you really want to find and do the work, you can do it instead of having or asking someone who is possibly a person of color that has gone through in a system who that has oppressed them to help help you kind of, figure out this I think, work. I, I, think, I, I think that's both true and not true. I mean, yeah. certainly I get the, the fatigue is a valid fatigue. But if, you, if you're asking people to um, un, unlearn and let go of deeply entrained denial that they have been taught to have about racism, going to Google is not going to work on that. That's, that, that's just a saying. I, I, that's just a saying. He's unpacking the same. I use that same joke in my yeah. training. I said people of color are tired of, of doing that kind of work. And then now that people just say, just Google it. But, and that, so, and that's, so I get that. It's, yeah. There's truth in that. But that's why I'm saying that white folks 
like Shira, need to be doing that work. And so the, my goal is to put people in a position to do that, to give them the, both the empowerment, the encouragement, and the skill so they can, in fact, do it. So, but, so I mean, yeah, so yeah, it's, it's fine for you yeah. or, or your cousins or brothers to say, Google it. I'm saying somebody got to deal with Skylar's ignorance. And it shouldn't have to be you, but maybe sure can do it if she's properly trained. Yeah, and I want to get into that actually after the break. I want to get into some tools for everyone listening of how we can have better conversations towards action, towards connection, towards love, hopefully in the future. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. We are back with Dr. David Camp, founder of The Dialogue Company, and now he works to provide tools to have better conversations around uncomfortable subjects like the election and racism. And so, Dr. David, let's get right into it. What are some of the things that people need to know about to dive in now? Well, you know, the the, the, the results are still coming in, but it's looking for since about... Uh, 36 hours, like Mr. Biden's probably going to win. So part of what we need to think about, if we think, if there's, we notice division in this country, this, this country did not repudiate him, right? Did not repudiate Mr. Trump. So this country's still super divided. I think he's, uh, he might win by 4 million votes and 3 million dollars in California. So the rest of the nation's pretty divided. If you want to reach out to people in your life who look at the world very differently, here's a three series of conversations that might be helpful. First, how are you feeling? Because we have all had we all have been disappointed, deeply disappointed by elections. So holding them in their grief is useful to do, even if you think that Mr. Trump is horrible. Second, isn't it great how Americans just showed up in unprecedented numbers? Can we all revel in that, right? Maybe you start out with that, but the point is, those are two things that are not about, nah, 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 I won, you lost. <laughs> if you don't need, that's, that's not healing energy, right? Either of those two. And then of course there's, what do we need to learn from what Mr. Trump meant to you that you would like to see carried on by Mr. Biden or other people on the other side. And what do I need to understand? Because a whole bunch, what happens is a whole bunch of people, they don't understand at all what was going on with that Trumpism thing. And they get all, I can't understand those people. And I get that, but we need to be in a stance of, you need to get curious, not furious. And so now that now that this side happens to have won, you might be in a good position to do that. So ask some questions. Not what was wrong with you liking that dude, but I really want to understand. Tell me how you felt about him and what inspired you. So, and what do we need to learn from that as we go forward? So, that, that, so there's like three, either a three phase conversation, three conversations you might have across that divide that's going to be more healing because I'm afraid that people are going to get all gloaty. So, not one group is a monolith. And so, how are you in these courses? How are you kind of training? white people to deal with all types of different black people? Because I guess there's not one way of having to deal with like coming into spaces where they're like, oh, I, I feel like I know so much. Like, I guess, how, how are you training them to kind well, of I want to make understand. sure you understand that my training that I do is for white people to talk to other white people. I'm not, I'm not training. Oh, that I'm makes more sense. That makes more sense. I'm training Shira so she can talk to Skylar. Now that she can talk to Keisha. You better train her how to talk to Keisha. I don't know about, I'm not training her for that. I'm training how she talked to her cousin, her brother, her neighbors, because the the, the, the whole complexity, I'm not, obviously cross-racial conversation has been a pretty part of my life. Right. But I don't right. see myself as telling somebody how they should talk to you. 
But I because I've been involved in racial dialogue. But with that knowledge, they're going to go into spaces where people of color are and they're going to use what they've learned to try to implement those tools that you've given them. Right. And so they need to. I mean, certainly the the core tool is is compassion and listening and reflection. But 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 when when they're talking to people of color, their job is not to be about changing minds. Like like I'm teaching people a method of influence that's based on changing minds. Mm. Now you got to be patient. You got to be compassionate. But when white allies are going into black spaces, their goal is not to change minds. At least that's not my goal for them. (laughs) My goal for them is to tear the sense of listening. So it's a slightly different thing. But certainly the notion of listening, which is which is of course important to any kind of human endeavor, is a common thing. But I just want to clarify. I love that. That's good. That's great. I think that's really important that you clarified that. But I mean, this uh, just to be add one more thing. Like a whole yeah. bunch of, I find that a whole bunch of black people, not uh, the majority, but a big portion, a big portion of black people have white friends that they care about, and they care about what those white friends do in all white spaces, but they don't talk to them about it because they're afraid if they talk to them about it, the relationship will fall apart. I, if, if, if I find out what you do or don't do when your cousin act is racist, I'm not gonna like you, so I'm not gonna bring it up. But I do care though. Mm. I think that there's cowardice in that. Like we need, we need to gently invite and nudge our white friends to do that work and then give them the tools to do that. Well, you're amazing. Dr. David Kemp, thank you so much for being here with us again. uh, Check out all the work that Dr. David does. Sign up for one of his courses, you know, because we have have a a cohort coming up this January 7th. We have a a four session, uh, a four session thing called Doing My Part for as a Rancher Racism Ally. You were in it, Tara, so you can See on how great it was. and uh, I'm learning. There you go. So um, I welcome people to come to thedialoguecompany.com and check us out. All right. Well, I you did the that. promo for me. Uh, we'll be back with more of Let's Go There right after this. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. It is Friday and we all should be, you know, eating dinner somewhere at a bar. I don't know, doing something like that, just enjoying ourselves. But yet we're all glued to our phones, our laptops, the TV screen, anticipating some breaking news. But Shira, you're literally about to go to a dinner. Like you're literally about to do everything that you just said you wanted to do. I'm saying in this very moment, (laughs) right now, real time. I'm like, what are you talking about? You actually have a life. I'm going to be the one going back home. What are you playing? Playing Among Us. Uh, Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's your life. Yeah, decided. Wow. Thank you for making me sound so sad. (laughs) So listen, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are expected to address the nation tonight in Delaware. We're waiting for this to go live. It was supposed to happen. What? When was it supposed to happen? At 5 p.m. It was supposed Pacific. to be happening at 5, but then it got pushed back. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's a whole other thing. So he's going to be making remarks even if news outlets have yet to project him the winner. That's according to people familiar with his plans. Aides actually spent today making preliminary plans for him to speak again tonight on the presumption that he would be projected to have won over 270 electoral votes. Okay, but that has not happened yet. There's a lot happening in Pennsylvania. There's a lot happening in Arizona. Uh, Just now in Arizona, uh, Arizona Secretary of State Katie Hobbs has said that there is approximately 235,000 outstanding ballots statewide with about 135,000 in Maricopa County. Uh, She said this to CNN's Wolf Blitzer. We're not sure how many of those are provisionals, but of the regular ballots they anticipate being done this weekend. In Arizona, counties have five business days after the election to resolve provisional ballots. Any of those ballots that are provisional, they won't be able to uh, count until Wednesday. I don't know how many of the Maricopa ballots are provisional. It's a small number, I'm sure. Like I said earlier, I am so over 
literally trying to figure it out. Yeah, figure it out. Like, I'm really over it. See, I think if we prefaced and just we all knew there's voting day and then election results day is probably a week later. It would solve all this anxiety because it's like you get anxiety when things are out out of your control, right? If you're dating someone and they tell you they're going to be there to pick you up at a certain time, they're not there. You're going to have anxiety. So might as well just say you're going to pick you up a week later. You're going to flake out for a week. I don't know. I just think everyone needs another round of stimulus checks for everything that they're going through. You remember, you know, talking about the therapy? Well, if we got another round of stimulus checks, then guess what? We would have the funds to pay for therapy. Or just distract us from all this other craziness. I thought you were going to say a round of shots. We all need another round of... I would love a round of shots. Meanwhile, (laughs) let's talk about what's happening in Pennsylvania. Justice Samuel Alito has ordered all county boards in Pennsylvania to segregate ballots received after Election Day and said that if the ballots are counted, they should be counted separately. Now, that's actually what the Secretary of State of Pennsylvania had already ordered. Earlier today, Pennsylvania Republicans, though, asked the court to issue the order, suggesting without evidence, as we're hearing, that some counties are not following the state guidance. Now, this continues that narrative that the rules are not being followed, right? And then this whole election is faulty and... All of this needs to be done to change that. So in these court papers, lawyers for the state GOP said that given the results of the November 3rd general election, the vote in Pennsylvania may well determine the next president. It is currently unclear whether all 67 county boards of elections are segregating late arriving ballots. So uh, the Pennsylvania Secretary of State, Kathy Bukvar, has already ordered any ballots that arrive between November 4th and 6th be segregated from those that arrived by Election Day pending ongoing litigations. And Alito's order puts more force to that order. So lots happening in Pennsylvania. And because of that, it's all going to be delayed and no word as of yet. Yeah, that's what happens. It's the worst. All right. Well, coming up, we've got executive editor of them, Wembley Sewell, joining us to discuss the youth color of vote this election. So stay tuned for that in two minutes. But then also we've got a Skeptoid podcast joining us to talk about all these conspiracy theories. We're breaking that down. So hang out with us right here on Let's Go There. Let's do it. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Them is the leading publisher for the LGBTQ plus community. And we've got editor-in-chief Wemley Sewell back with us again to talk about their latest cover story and, of course, covering the election this year. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be back here. The big thing that we've seen, and I love that them described it as a rainbow wave. Um, How important is a moment like this for the LGBTQ plus community? You'll see in the in the piece this more perfect union from us that it's almost beyond a, a wave at this point. It's it's like a tsunami. Um, if you look at it, I believe the stat is you know over a thousand LGBTQ identified people ran for office this year in 2020. So to me, it all boils down to the fact that like we are beginning to seize a moment in a way where it's like our issues, the things that matter to us, our voices, you know, cannot be suppressed or or denied and and more and more we're we're fighting for um seats in the rooms where these conversations that alter our lives are are you know being discussed yeah and in the cover story as you mentioned a more perfect union uh you feature some of the leading candidates in the queer community can you tell us about some who stood out for you they all stood out and the fascinating thing we're, we're seeing is uh as we were live blogging everything that was happening, especially on, on Tuesday, 
all of them won their races. So all the people we featured are now going to be stepping into to these leadership roles. And I think while their their wins are historic and, and so, so significant, I think it also sends a message to this next generation and, and shows them what they can achieve. Not saying that, you know, these positions um, and, and having legislative roles are the only ways to make change, but um, I think it sends an incredible, incredible message, especially to LGBTQ youth. So it is truly a wave. It's not just a wave of influence. I think it's a wave of emotions as well. Yeah. yeah I'm just so proud of everyone. Again, you're hearing the voice of Wemley Sewell, editor-in-chief from Them Who We Love Having On. You know, I think the one thing that I think about, especially in the tsunami that we're in, because I like that better than wave. Um, I want to know, do you think we'll start seeing more LGBTQ representation when it comes to debates? Right. That's something that we have not we don't really got. We got one town hall. And- we got a one town hall and it didn't come up in <laughs> any, you know, in any single debate. So I don't think there's a question about that. But you know, regardless of what happens, and you know, my fingers are crossed, I'm not trying to jinx anything, but no matter what happens um, with this election, I think we're going to start seeing our administration being held accountable in, in ways that we haven't seen before. And I think, you know, looking at the passion and fervor right now behind organizers and activists who have been doing this work for years, you know, it's, it's coming to, you know, almost a fever pitch. I think that's going to dominate the conversation that we're seeing in the, in the coming months. Yeah. And again, debates, and I can't even think four years from now. I hope you know the debates change, but... But I'm even in our local, I'm, I'm talking mm-hmm. about local decisions yeah. now, right? Yeah. Like that should be popping that's up. That's where it starts. Right. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah. I think, you know, what's happening on the local level is not to rank, but almost more important because mm-hmm. that's where it really begins to impact your, your day-to-day life. And now that all these incredible individuals are elected and we're seeing the shift. What is the focus now, including from a publisher like yours? You know, it goes back to kind of what I was just saying, making sure activists and organizers and people on the ground and, you know, uh, are feeling supported and heard uh, and, and amplified. Because when you look at police brutality, you know, issues around healthcare and, and housing um, and decriminalizing sex work and student debt, you can go on and on about all of these issues that need to be addressed. I think that our responsibility as a publication um, is to be helping people who are fighting um, for advancements in this in this area and improved quality of life to know that they have a resource and a place where their message can can be shared. We saw that really work well, um, especially when it came to the youth vote this year, right? I mean, Absolutely. young people of color Absolutely. showed up and showed out. Can you talk about how exciting that was for you? Oh, it's so exciting. I will say, you know, to see that 51% of, you know, white youth voters voted for Trump is a little bit disappointing, <laughs> but to know that 91% of, of black youth voters and 73%, I believe, of, of Latinx youth supporting um, Biden is is incredible. And again, I think they're the ones who are going to be really holding us to task when it comes to issues around the environment, um, again, going back to student debt. Um, so I think we have to be listening to especially youth of color when it comes to determining where our energy and our focus goes, issues that are going to be, you know, shaping, you know, the course of, of life for the next four years, for beyond decades to come. You know, mm-hmm. I think that this time is, is really going to show us what direction the country is going in for a long, long, long time. Well, Wembley, we've been talking about self-care being a radical act. Uh, what yeah. are some of uh, your tips that you, well, you as an individual, probably you're doing your own thing, but also <laughs> you're, sharing, you're sharing for those in the community because a lot of people have been traumatized. There's a lot of oh, yeah. stuff Absolutely. going on right now. Absolutely. 
You know, we've been covering a lot because I think it's also just as important to be taking care of your of yourself because at the end of the day, you're you're all you have. So um, we've been sharing a lot of resources about you know mental health and 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 things that you can easily do just within your own body to take care of yourself. And it might sound you know redundant or reductive, but like just taking that deep breath, inhale, exhale. I won't do it into the microphone. <laughs> you'd be you'd be surprised how many people respond just to that call to, yeah. to breathe and 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 know that you know at the end of the day we're still going to be facing tough 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 opposition but if you can inhale exhale and, and keep moving forward um it will help at least to center yourself yeah love it well Wemley, thank you again for being with us today we appreciate you oh, i appreciate you both and uh, again Wemley sewell is the editor-in-chief for them for more go to them.us And coming up, speaking of healing, a wellness space for men of color. More on that next on our Yaz Queen of the Day. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Okay, we are wrapping up the show with our Yaz Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. You know, I love doing the show from the studio because we got the music, we got the vibes. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling it. We really do. It's so much better. The energy's just so good. I know. And it, it just gives us the live show feel. I feel like we're just on it. Like we're in theta. Can we just stop giving ourselves compliments at <laughs> right? this point? We deserve it after this Because what if everyone's listening being like, they have been doing awful? <laughs> yeah, they suck. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's their filter? It's like... <laughs> They're just delusional. <laughs> yes, probably. <laughs> All right, let's start this off. Darian Hall, who's 39, co-founded the Brooklyn-based Heal House. It's a revolutionary new community for men that's at the forefront of changing perceptions surrounding mental health for people of color. I find this so cool. Here he is talking more about it. When we first decided to do this, we literally were going around to different yoga studios and meditation studios. And I remember going to a couple of therapy clinics to really see how those spaces felt. And none of those places felt inviting for a young black man. Okay, that was Darian Hall. I love that. Yes, um, it's really cool. Actually, I knew about this and I follow Heel House on Instagram. So mm. I was so pleasantly surprised when producer Jesse found this story today and plugged it into our show. So you were surprised that our producer did his job very well. <laughs> and then Rude. I was surprised that I didn't decide to cover this before he decided to. But I guess they're making their way uh, uh, into other articles and Yahoo and Quick Take and everything. So That's I, incredible. It's really cool to see because it's really needed uh, because, you know, the space can be whitewashed, as mm-hmm. we know. Mm-hmm. And it might make people feel uncomfortable or not seen when they don't see themselves in those spaces. Yeah, sure. You have learned so much from our resident white whisperer. We have to send him flowers or an edible arrangement. It's really good. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, if you did miss our talk with Dr. David Camps, who, by the way, has been on The Daily Show yes. and other shows. <laughs> but, no. but most famously, yes, The Daily exactly. Show. And yes. of course, let's go there. Uh, anyway, just listen to him on our podcast. He talks about all these tools for white allies and how to have, I think for everyone right now, more productive conversation. Compassion is the word that he loves Thank to you. use. Yes, yes, oh yes. my God, you were listening. That's okay. great. Yeah, Compassionate course. conversations. We need more of that right now. Speaking of compassion, I want to give an honorable mention to Al Roker because uh, today, unfortunately, Mm. He um, revealed on the show uh, that he has prostate cancer. And, whoa, I mean, we're going to play a clip of his announcement right now. I do after a routine uh, checkup in September. Uh, Turns out I have prostate cancer. 
Uh, and it's uh, a good news, bad news kind of thing. And good news is we caught it early. Uh, not great news is that it's a little aggressive. So I'm going to be taking some time off to take care of this. Uh, and and uh, it's one of those things that it, it's it's a little more common than than people, I think, realize. Yeah, and he uh, continued to say that he hopes to return to the NBC Morning Program in about two weeks. Uh, he also said, I don't want people thinking poor Al because I'm going to be okay. And this mm. was the perfect spot to put him because he's amazing. I grew up on Al Roker. And yeah. I. Um, this is sad news. And I know that he has so much support around him. And we're sending him a lot of support. Yes, I actually, I have done stuff with him. I was going to say we should have him on. Probably not right now. Uh, we, yeah, I'm probably not, not doing the outreach right now. Right. But he, I think he's been on Today Show the longest. Mm-hmm. It feels like that. Is mm-hmm. that true? I mean, we've saw, we've seen him through his entire journey, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, the Macy's Day Parade, the Thanksgiving Parade, he was always the host and I would watch it every single year growing Aww. up. And so he's a part of my family. And so yeah. I'm sending him so, so much love. Definitely. Well, that does it for our show today and our Yaz Queen of the Day. Yeah. Yes, queen. If you miss any of our show or interviews, catch up on all of it as a podcast. Just go to the radio.com app or where podcasts are available and search Let's Go There. Mm-hmm. Coming up on Monday, we've got Kaylin Allen joining us. He's from The Ellen Show. He's an awesome actor and musician. He's got a big announcement he'll be making. It's been a couple years since he's been on the show, so we're super excited to revisit with him, seeing what he's up to. Yeah, plus, of course, the latest news on the election results, because who knows where we'll be at between now and then. Girl, I mean, literally in hours, who knows where we'll Exactly. Uh, Plus, I think this is so awesome how Stacey Abrams shaped the 2020 election. We really want to dive into that and honor her. She's the reason why we have Georgia, you know, once they call it. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, when that happens. That's on Let's Go There, 4 to 7 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern right here on Channel Q. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. See you Monday. Have a great weekend. Bye, you guys. Let's Go There with Shira and Ryan. The new Channel Q.